1986, Frank Miller resurrected a comic book character that had been left to die in the ditch. After being overshadowed by the superior colleague of Superman, and after having a severe dent on the ideology behind this character, Frank Miller resurrected Batman essentially from the dead. Nothing had neutered Batman more than the 1960s TV show. I mean, could that be any more annoying? Na 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 Batman. That just that and the spandex just completely ruined Batman. And so Frank Miller came together with DC and completely reimagined this character by introducing him back into a comic book series called The Dark Knight Returns. And so Miller reimagined this character back to his original form that would literally strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. And you see the character wrestling between Bruce Wayne and Batman, not sharing who he was and who he really wanted to be. And this reimagination of Batman is what propelled us into the, the 1989 and 1992 Tim Burton Batman movies, as well as Christopher Nolan's trilogy. And Batman has always fascinated me. He's a fascinating character because he is the one person who will stand and do what it takes to protect Gotham City. And Gotham City is this weird city because it's full of corruption. The cops are dirty. The police commissioner and the mayor are dirty. Everybody who's supposed to be protecting this city has the hand in, in the, back, the back pocket of the mob. The mob is running this city. And so there's only really two people who will stand in the face of this. A man named Jim Gordon, who is a cop, and Batman. And so while everyone else, the rich included, will fail to stand against what is happening, Batman and Jim Gordon are the two people that will stand up and do what it takes, not just giving it lip service, but do what it takes to make a change. And so it's that mindset that brings us into our text this morning in James chapter 1, verse 22. Now for the last two weeks, we have been working our way through this fascinating book. As we dig verse by verse through the book of James, we begin to see just how much it parallels the teaching and ministry of Jesus, and that's the fact that it only mentions the name of Jesus twice within the entire book. In the first part of James chapter 1, he challenges to take a different perspective of what trials look like in our life. He says, take joy in the trials and suffering of your faith. And then last week we wrestled in, in the fact that he looks at what is this temptation that we have within our life? What is it the thing that goes to the deep carnal nature of who we are, of what we, we desire within the heart of who we are as an individual. And he challenges us to accept the Word of God planted in us as a way of resisting the desires of our life. And it's this idea of taking this Word of God within us that he's going he's gonna to carry on in verse 22 when he says, Do not be merely listeners of the Word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
carrying the tide from 2013, which was known as the year of the selfie. 2014 really amped up the statistics on selfie. It's amazing to look at the number of, of selfies that were posted on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook and that were sent over text waves. It is fascinating. In 2013, they're still putting the statistics together for 2014, but in 2013, 69 million hashtag selfies were posted on Instagram. And there was 15 billion selfie photos posted on Instagram. So imagine that in 2014 pressing it up. And what's so fascinating about it, it is it has started this new industry that you can buy a selfie stick. You can buy this retractable thing that you can stand out and get the appropriate image that you want, which is perfect for me that has short little arms. I can't encompass the entire family. So I can buy a stick that I can put on the end and hit the button, and it does exactly what I need it to. This is my favorite uh, selfie that was taken. Uh, a group of teenagers climbed to the highest skyscraper in Hong Kong. They are 1,135 feet up in the air without safety equipment or climbing equipment to take this amazing selfie. It's crazy. And February 3rd, the NTSB released an investigation that found that a pilot had taken a selfie of himself at the point that he lost control of a plane and killed himself and another individual. A selfie was to blame for the death of two people. So what's fascinating is we are a people that are not unfamiliar with our own image, would you say? Can you imagine a day where you didn't have cell phones to be able to take pictures? I mean, I remember the old StarTac phone like that I had, like just a flip-up phone. So can you imagine a time where you couldn't take a selfie and fill the, the clouds with your pictures? But imagine a day where you didn't even know what your own image was. When James is writing to this group of people, he's writing to a group of people that would not have had access to mirrors. Mirrors were very uncommon in James' day. In fact, the, the more likely person to have a mirror was someone who was rich. And so James is saying that if you so rarely were able to see yourself in a mirror, that's something that you wouldn't forget. If you rarely were able to see your own image, that's not something you would forget, which is what brings irony slamming down hard on this text when he says, what kind of idiot would look in a mirror and then immediately walk away and forget what they look like? James compares that. He says, why would you listen to the word of God? This living word of God that God has planted in you. This, this word of God that literally spoke life into existence. He says, why would you listen to that and then walk away not doing what he says? He says that's comparable to an idiot looking at himself in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what he looks like. James says, what's the point? What is the point of even listening to the Word of God in our life if we're not going to put it into practice? What is the point? One of the most brilliant and fascinating stories from the Gospels that really conveys this message takes place in the Gospel of Luke. I was recognizing this morning that it's been a year since we finished up the Gospel of Luke. We were in there a long time, but it's already been a year. That's crazy. And it's this story where Jesus is going into this town, and it says this, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him this, well, you know the commands. Don't elicit sex. 
No killing, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and your mother. And the guy in almost this smug, arrogant, self-righteous way looks at Jesus and says, I've done all those things. I've honored my father and mother. I, I, go, I go to the temple. I, 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 I give my 10% like I'm supposed to. I've done all these things. And so Jesus looks at him and says, great. Well, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. And then come follow me. And what does Luke tell us? It says the man's face fell because he was very rich and he walked away from Jesus. Here is this man. He is standing in the living presence of God. God is giving him this living word within him. And he tells him, you've done all the commands, but there's one thing I really need you to do. I need you to sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and come follow me and find real life. And what does this man do? He walks away from Jesus. In this moment, he proves the true sense of what his religiosity is. It is just a facade of faith. It's not really a living faith in God. It's just a practice of what he does. And so the first lesson we need to learn from our text is this. Faith without obedience isn't faith. What did James say in verse 22? He says, don't listen to the word of God and do not do what it says. You deceive yourself. Essentially, James says, don't lie to yourself thinking you have faith in God when you're not really allowing God to lead you in your life. And I think this is hard for us being followers of Jesus in America. Because being a religious person in America is easy. It's really easy. In fact, it's trendy in a lot of places. This is not a diss on on the megachurch, but think how easy it is to be part of a megachurch. You simply are just a face in a crowd doing what everybody else does, mechanically going throughout your faith, and, and no one has to see you. That's why it's so popular in America. That's why they're so attractive. It's, it's so easy to be religious in America because we just simply do all the things we've always done. Sunday morning is simply a routine for us where we get up, we get dressed, we head out the door usually in a panic, which we would never get in an argument on, on the car ride on the way to church. And then when we arrive, everybody's all smiles, right? That never, never happens. We drink our coffee. We, we sit, we stand and worship. We sing two or three songs. We listen to the pastor preach for 20, 30 minutes sometimes 40 minutes if he's feeling really good about the message. We do a closing song and then we leave and we check that off our to-do list for the week. In 60 to 80 minutes, we have fulfilled our religious obligation. But is there any obedience in that? Is there any faith in that? It's easy to have faith in God when you're not actually truly listening and following the words of Jesus. But what does that mean exactly? How am I supposed to, to do that? Do I, do I literally follow every single word that's in the Bible? Do I just open up the Bible and follow what every passage says? If that's the case, then there's a whole lot of us in this space, including myself, that should have been stoned to death years ago for our disregard for the Old Testament laws. Anyone here wearing a multi-blend kind of shirt? Anybody wearing a cotton polyester blend shirt? You just broke the Old Testament laws. I should be stoned to death afterwards today because I'm currently growing in my raised bed kale, onions, and cabbage. You're not supposed to mix crops together. It says that in the word of God. Or a lot of us should be missing eyes and have hands cut off according to the words of Jesus. It says pluck your eye out or cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. I could go on and on about this, but how do we interpret scripture? What 
words of Scripture do we take literally, figuratively, metaphorically, allegorically? Which, which ones do we do? And so our struggle within the text is, is to identify what word of God we're supposed to live out. That's why fundamentalism is so attractive within religion. We, we live in a world of such gray. And if we're really honest with Scripture, there's a lot of gray in Scripture where the mystery of God is there. And because we want to live in a world of black and white, we attract ourselves to the people, to the churches, to the religious groups that says, we've got it all figured out. We are the authoritative word of God. This is exactly what it means to follow Jesus. And we do so willingly, not really working through our faith. But the word of God is difficult. So what does that mean to listen to the word of God and live that out in our life? I think the the easiest answer that comes from the words of Master Yoda, really it does. In in Star Wars, in Empire Strikes Back, there's this epic scene that takes place in the planet Dagobah where Luke Skywalker has gone to this planet to be trained under Yoda, the Jedi Master. And as they dig deeper and deeper into their training, Yoda brings Luke to the place where his X-Wing has crashed into this swamp and Yoda instructs Luke to lift his X-Wing out of the swamp and onto dry ground. And Luke responds simply, it cannot be done, it's too big. And Yoda, in the way that only Yoda can, gives this great response. He says, size matters not. I'm not even going to try to do a Yoda voice, okay? Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? (laughs) Always with what cannot be done, you know nothing that I say. You must unlearn what you have learned. You must unlearn what you have learned. I think in order for us to be a people that truly listen to the Word of God and truly live that out in our life, we need to unlearn all the things that we think we've learned in life. What does that mean? I think that begins in the very essence of what the Scripture says. And so the first text, for, for, for first step for us to unlearn what we have learned is to truly get to know the living God that's within us. That's the first step. Look back at verse 21. It says, in last week's verse, it says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which will save you. Now, what does that word mean? Is it talking about the written Scriptures of God? Because if we're talking about the written Scriptures of God that were actually in place at this time... There was no Bible as we know it today. The only scriptures that were written at that time were the Old Testament scrolls. And only people in the synagogue or teachers would have had those things. In fact, the Bible as we have it today wasn't formed until 390 A.D. So could it be that James is not referring to the written word of God? Could he be referring to something else? The Bible also describes Jesus as the Word of God. It also describes the Spirit as the carrier of God's words. So the first step in knowing the Word of God is to know the Word that is God. God is this living Word of God. God is this Word that's planted within us. It's this living Spirit of God. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will empower us and remind us of all the things that Jesus taught us and showed us. It is the Spirit of God that entered the first disciples as we see these events in Acts called Pentecost where the Spirit filled them and they literally led thousands to Christ in the day. 
see, you can't truly hear the Word of God unless you know God, unless you know this intimate being within you. And James would have understood this. One author wrote this, James grew up as the half-brother of Jesus, yet he didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. Yes, his older brother seemed to be the perfect child, but there was no way that he could be the Messiah, could he? They shared the same bedroom together as kids. That doesn't sound like the Messiah that James heard about in the synagogues. But once James had experienced the risen Jesus, it was a different story. A story of listening and doing. There was no time to mess around with debates or trivia. Jesus is the Messiah and he's coming back. And we need to live like that. Do you know God? I'm not saying, do you know about God? Do you have knowledge of God? Do you truly know God? This living God that's within us and around us. Do you allow Him to bide in you? Do you journey with Him each and every day? Do you truly know Him? You can't even begin to imagine to hear and obey the words of God. Why would you unless you truly believe in Him and know Him? When you know the living God that is around you and within you, all of a sudden, the character of God makes sense. The words of Scripture begin to make sense. Our willingness to do what God desires for us makes complete sense. But it begins with knowing God. There's this funny game that's going around uh, in youth ministries across across the U.S. And it's a game called Taylor Swift or Lamentations. We're going to play a few rounds this morning, okay? So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read a line, and you will either respond with Lamentations or Taylor Swift. Okay? It's very simple. Lamentations or Taylor Swift. Okay? You ready? We're going to play a few quick rounds. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. Lamentations or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift? Any Lamentations? Only Taylor Swift? It's actually Lamentations 1, 2. Yeah. Let's go to the next one. Your knives and swords and weapons you use against me. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? Oh, some of y'all are like, I know that one. Yeah, it's actually Taylor Swift, yeah. This is the next one. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? Everybody was so confident the first two rounds. Now all of a sudden everybody's like, I'm not going to answer. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? Lamentations. Okay, yeah, Lamentations 2.11, okay? How about this next one? You're like a lion ready to pounce. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? All right. See, it's not fun when y'all aren't answering. You're like, I don't want to get it wrong. Okay, it's Lamentations 3.10. All right, how about this last one? I'm aching, no past, nowhere to hide. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? Yeah, that is Taylor Swift, yeah. So clearly our next book study in Mosaic needs to be the the book of Lamentations. Some of you are like, I'm just not going to answer. And obviously we're being a bit facetious, but when it comes down to it, do we really know the Word of God? Do we really know it? Now, nobody's expecting you to know all 66 books of the Bible in order. Nobody expecting you to quote all 31,102 verses of Scripture within it. Yet, as a people of God, shouldn't we actually know the Word of God? 
So as we get to know this God, this living God within us, we also should feast on the written Word of God. James describes this as the perfect law that gives freedom. (coughs) Excuse me. This is the third time that James has used this word teleos within his scripture verses. It's the word for perfection. But it's not perfection in the sense that you're thinking about. It doesn't mean you need to be sinless in your life. Perfectly sinless. What the word means is complete or mature. So James is saying this word of God brings about in our lives this sense of of perfection, of maturity within us. The great theologian Soren Kierkegaard wrote this. The fundamental purpose of God's words is to give us true self-knowledge. It is a real mirror, and when we look at ourselves properly in it and see ourselves as God wants us to see ourselves, the assumption behind this is the purpose of God's revelation is for us to become transformed, to become the people of God that he wants us to be. But this is impossible until we see ourselves as we really are. It's strange to hear that the the word is this perfect law that gives freedom. How can laws give freedom? I don't know about you, but I've always been a rule breaker and found freedom in breaking the rules. Anybody out there a lawbreaker? Yeah, I am, okay. Anyways, judge me for it. So how does that make sense? How does the law give us freedom? What's amazing is, is that as we look at scriptures, as we begin to recognize that, that God is calling us to deny certain aspects of our desires for a purpose. And until you are willing to believe the words of God, to, to resist some of those things in your life, you cannot begin to see the freedom that is in living the life that he's called us to. And so scripture tells us, teach me proper discernment and understanding, for I consider your commandments reliable. Do you consider the word of God reliable, this living thing within you that gives you life, that matures you, that that builds you up in the person that God is calling you to be? You see, it's in scripture that we begin to see the world as God designed the world, that we begin to see ourselves in the way that God truly desires for us to be. We begin to see that life is bigger than just you and me, but it's about the kingdom of God. And so we must feast on the Word of God. We must dig into the Word of God that we begin to understand just how dynamic it is, that it is this love letter written to you and to me and for the entire world. We begin to understand Scripture and we begin to see the the differences within Scripture, that it doesn't cancel out Scripture but actually enhances Scripture. You begin to see that the Gospels were written from different perspectives because it speaks to us in different parts and aspects of our life. We begin to see Scripture and really begin to know Scripture. So your faith is not based around, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is the only Scripture you know, or John 3.16, or Philippians 4.13, or Jeremiah 29.11. We begin to see that Scripture is more than just highlight verses here and there. But it doesn't happen until you feast on the Word of God. Let's return to Dagobah for just a second. Luke Skywalker has gone through a bit more of his training. He's frustrated, and I imagine that Yoda is frustrated with with Luke. This is the guy that trained Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Anakin and so many more other Jedis. I'm revealing my dorkiness here as we go. And so Luke doesn't get it. Yoda brings him to this X-Wing again, and and, and he says to him, try this again, do this again. And and Luke responds to him, all right, I'll give it a try. And this is when Yoda offers one of the best quotes from Yoda. He says, no, try not. Do or do not, there is no try. 
And so as you begin to know this living God within you, as you begin to feast on the word of God, your responsibility is to know it and to live it. There is no try. There is no sitting on the fence when it comes to the word of God in our life. We either are living it out or we're choosing not to live it out. There is no in-between. There is no try. So know the word of God. Begin to live this out in your life. The purpose of God's word is to lift you up, to build you up, to give you a better way of seeing life and living. There is no try. One of my favorite things about traveling the world is the open markets. Any of you ever been to an open market around the world? They're, they're awesome places. They're also some pretty sketchy places. You're like, oh, this is the place where a lot of people get kidnapped and they never see their families again. No, seriously. And along with some of the, I, I love the, uh, the quote-unquote handmade stuff. Oh, this is handmade. This is hand-painted. But yet I go around the corner and it's the exact same thing that the other guy is telling me is handmade and hand-painted. What I love about open markets is the, the rip-off stuff. So for $15, I can buy a Rolex. For like $10, I can buy a pair of Oakleys or Ray-Bans. For $20, I can buy a pair of Nike shoes. But, but know that when you're, you're buying it, you're getting what you're buying. <laughs> it might have the brand name on it, but you know, a couple, couple times wearing it later, you'll see what it's really made of. And so this summer when I was in Ecuador, I bought a pair of $8 Ray-Ban sunglasses. He even threw in the case for $8. Wow, that was amazing. Four wears later, an accidental drop. It looked like a, like a rock had come through a windshield in these glasses. It might have the name on it, but it's not really the real thing. And so it is in our faith journeys. There is no faking it when it comes to our faith. We are either living in the way of God. We are either trying to choose to follow the way of God or we we don't do it. That doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we're not going to fall short. But there's a difference between trying to live out the word of God, actually doing it in your life and not doing it. You can't fake it. And that's what makes scripture so tough. Because Christ is calling us not to just do the easy things in our faith, but he's calling us to the, to the difficult things in our faith as well. And this begins with obedience in our life and, and knowing this word of God. Jesus didn't have a sense of humor when he looked at us and said, turn the other cheek when people slap you emotionally and mentally and physically. He wasn't kidding around when he said, I don't want you just to love your friends and your family and the people it's easy to love. He says, I want to love, I want you to love the people that freaking hate you. Or the people that you despise. These are the difficult words of Scripture. The word of God is true, and if we believe it to be this perfect law, then we then we practice it. We practice things like selling our possessions and giving to the money to people who need it. We practice sacrificing to self in order to serve others who are in need. We choose to, to cut out things in our life, to not build up our little kingdoms, but instead invest in the kingdom of God. We choose to believe the words of Christ that says, I am calling you to peace and to love, not to violence. We choose to <coughs> excuse me. We choose to live lives of, of patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control because we believe the word of God to be true. Even the really difficult scriptures, James says, this is what God is calling you to. To live it, to hear it, to practice it each day. 
And James gives a perfect example in verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which will save you. Anger is such a perfect example of how living in a journey of God, feasting on the word of God, and acting out and putting into practice makes a difference in our life. In fact, you can remove the word anger and you can replace it with anything else that you might have a tendency to or I might have a tendency to in my life. So replace it with irritability, pride, worry, dishonesty, pessimism, judgmentalism, hostility, aggression, callousness, cruelty, cynicism, dogmaticism, greediness, impatience, intolerance, laziness, apathy, materialism, patronizing, rudeness, sarcasm, tactlessness, and impulsiveness. Replace it with any word you want to. And James says simply, the temptation in our life begins to build. As someone begins to frustrate you and begins to to anger you in your life, he says, be slow to speak. Slow to speak. It's this word of God that's within us that if we begin to put it into practice, it begins to resist the desires of our life. He says, it's so easy in our life to become angry, to become irritability, the things that are people doing. He says, but if you slow yourself down, if you begin to live out the word of God in your life, all of a sudden that anger is suppressed and subsides. But this happens when the word of God is firmly planted within us. Have you been living this and practicing this in your life? Because James caps this off and he says, he says, when you do this, not forgetting what you have heard, he says, you will be blessed in all that you do. It's a blessing to resist the dark and broken desires of our hearts. It's a, it's a blessing to push away the temptation and choose the more healthy form of living and what God desires for us. It's a blessing to know that... <coughs> Excuse me, that the journey with God brings something whole into our life. It's a blessing to know that that when we can live this out, it makes a difference in our relationships, (coughs) excuse me, in our day-to-day living. It's a blessing to know that God can do great things in you and through you. That is what it means to be a blessing by living out the Word of God. And I think the best way to to really cap off this, to really truly understand what James is trying to say, we turn our attention to a parable of Jesus. And after Jesus gives one of the more lengthy and in-depth teachings in the ministry, (coughs) in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, after he finished saying, blessed are the peacemakers, the merciful, after calling us to not resist and, and to resist anger and violence in our life, after teaching us that followers are, are commit to this deep commitment in their life, after teaching us that we should be quick to pray and not worry in who we are, after sternly warning us against judging others, Jesus utters this amazing parable. And he says, Therefore, who hears these words of mine <coughs> and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Anyone who hears these words of God 
and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who looks himself at a mirror and after looking at himself, he immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. Are you a fool?